Welcome to the second season of the Chicago Sustainability Series. Founded in 2015 by me, Tomas de Medici, the series is a practical exploration of sustainability, inclusion, representation, and equity. In this water dialogue, conducted over Zoom on July 24, 2020, I interviewed Dean Alanis Teotis. Dean is the Chief of Staff for Commissioner Kimberly DeBoucle of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Or, for brevity's sake, MWRD. MWRD handles our waste and stormwater in Cook County, covering close to 900 square miles, which includes Chicago and 128 suburban communities. The district provides essential services for over 10 million people, or a commercial and industrial equivalent of 4.5 million people. Through their seven wastewater treatment facilities and 22 stations, they treat approximately 1.4 billion gallons of wastewater each day. In this dialogue, Dean and I discuss the intersections of water, racial and socioeconomic equity, essential workers, their pioneering research around tracking COVID-19, and more. We also discussed what their megaprojects like the McCook Reservoir Stage 1 accomplished for the region, namely providing 3.5 billion gallons of storage for pollution and flood control. In 2029, MWRD will complete Stage 2, which will provide 6.5 billion gallons of storage, which will total 10 billion gallons. This will result in more than $143 million per year in flood damage reduction benefits to 3.1 million people in 37 communities. You can learn more about MWRD at mwrd.org and more about the Chicago Sustainability Series at sustaintheshy.com. Enjoy the dialogue. All right. Welcome, Dean Alanis Theotis. Thank you. Else with another uh, complex name like myself. So we yeah, have. Of course. I am Tomas de Medici, founder of the Chicago Sustainability Series. Super excited to be joined by Dean, who is a chief of staff at the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Chicago. And before that, was the director of economic development at City of Chicago. Sure. So, Clarity, I'm uh, chief of staff for one of the commissioners, Commissioner Kim Dubuque at MWRD. Which is has been I've been there since December of, of 2018, and absolutely has been uh, an incredible, insightful opportunity for me to work under Commissioner Bouclay, but also to see what is happening in in, in regards to wastewater and stormwater management uh, here in Cook County. So super excited to, to talk about that, and thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, Tomas. Well, it's you know even in our pre-discussions, we we're able to cover so much. So we'll. We'll try to keep it tight because this could very easily be a multi-hour. Yeah, I can definitely talk for hours, that's for sure. And um, actually, our first podcast was the Water Dialogue back in May 2016 when MWRD spoke on our first panel. Um, So jumping right in, Dean, if you could start us off with your personal story and what brought you to working in water and MWRD. Sure. No, uh, thank you. So my uh, personal story is uh, son of immigrant Greek-American uh, heritage. Parents migrated here uh, in the 1970s, uh, have stayed for uh, my entire life, actually, uh, here in Chicago, went to undergrad at DePaul, studied political science, went to grad school at Northwestern doing uh, MPPA, and really have been interested in, in water in the, in, the, in the last, i say, five, uh, five years, because it, there's been a, a, not only a national discussion around it, but an international discussion. We hear often uh, the, the connection between waters and new oil, uh, similar to data. And, you know, I think it's tangible 
uh, a concrete natural resource that we see here with the Great Lakes being our backyard, 20% of the world's fresh water. So after a thing at uh, City Hall, I wanted to do something else and figured, what can I do? And this opportunity came, uh, uh, presented itself. And I thought, well, you know, how can I think about water within the realm of economic development, how within the realm of uh, public health, as, as, as we can talk, we'll talk about later. But honestly, it's, it's activating uh, a key resource that we have many, I would say, take for granted here uh, in Illinois and in our region, uh, and actually activating it for good and opportunity to create both an economic driver, but also a social driver as well. Water touches everything. It's such a comprehensive. Yeah, and and honestly, water has no uh, no boundaries and no borders. So it's if you think about it as as an entire ecosystem, it's and that's how the commissioners are laid out. There's nine commissioners that sit on the, on the board, and there's been discussions in the past of you know who do, you know is it is it a district uh, at at large capacity where they represent, and and honestly, all of them have come back and said the same thing is that. Water has no boundaries. So it's not territorial that, you know, this is my specific area or district and any issue that goes across that, well, that's somebody else's issue. And that's the, actually the, the most insightful way to think about water and honestly, the environment as a whole. So well, super- with, that, with that intersectional framework, can you tell us a little bit more about the things you're working on right now and then how they intersect with the larger mission of MWRD today? Yeah, so I think a lot of our work has started uh, previously to my tenure there, but a lot of the projects have been investing in stormwater management programs and partnerships across Cook County. MWRD, I often say, is probably the most important government agency nobody's ever heard about uh, or thought about there after until, until the simple fact you can't flush your toilet anymore or your basement is backed up or, or, or some sort. And then all of a sudden it comes home pretty quickly. So uh, as we see with, uh, with, with climate change and recent weather patterns, MWRD is going to play a crucial role in uh, the future of not only uh, our city, but also our, our county and our region. And a lot of the work that I undertake now is, is more policy-driven and big picture, if you may. MWRD has a superb staff led by an executive director, Brian Perkovich, and under President uh, Kerry Steele's leadership. The staff at MWRD, I would say, is probably by far the best staff I've ever met in my life. They are top-notch in all the, the skill sets that they have, both in engineering and other technical uh, backgrounds. But the staff is superb. And the, and the staff at MWRD really does the day-to-day operational stuff, and, and they're great. And then the experts in their field, the world-renowned uh, for that matter. And uh, the board of commissioners are tasked with doing a strategic business plan, a forward-thinking ideology, if you may, and policy-driven initiatives. And that's where I really help uh, Commissioner Dubuclay in her, in her work is, you know, where can the district be in the next five years? What are the hottest trends that we think can make an impact both locally as well as uh, regionally as well as nationally? One of uh, the important issues that I've been tasked with under her uh, direction is environmental justice. What does the word uh, environmental justice mean in 2020 in a world that you know we're going through so much right now, but how does that impact everybody's life from an environmental perspective? We know communities are, are, are impacted much more uh, differently on the south and west side of the city of Chicago. On the south suburbs, for example, are impacted significantly more in flooding. Their access to whether it's fresh fruit or vegetables or even access to clean water is a challenge. And you know we know that not only the topology that Chicago 
the south and west side of the Chicago floods more often. Uh, a recent article in the Sometimes talks about it uh, pretty evidently. And those are the things that I'm thinking about is how can I work on stuff like that? How can we make an impact at MWRD? How can the work that we do impact so many millions of people every day across Cook County, which is the second largest county in the country? But what are we able to do to make a difference in the lives of so many where oftentimes environmental issues are not top of mind? They're not the thing that people wake up and, and say, hey, you know, I want to make a difference in the environment. That is not on their five things uh, to worry about every day, but it has to be a part of what we work on and focus on every day at MWRD. So I'm really tasked with kind of being proactive and thinking about uh, how are we investing in green infrastructure equitably across uh, the region? How are we thinking about both public-private investments in stormwater management? Uh, where are we moving the needle along the way in regards to uh, opportunity to, to make uh, stormwater management a real core function when we think about urban planning, when we're thinking about uh, uh, where this, the region as a whole is going. So working with CMAP, working with MPC, working with other regional stakeholders to get activated on, on stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of my core function of work every day. It's, I appreciate the, the humanist underpinning that you're approaching this with. You know, one of my experiences in solar development was the first time I met with an elected official in an environmental justice community, low-income census track to, you know, at the early stages of trying to see if we could do an Illinois Solar for All project. You know, this was like a year, year and a half before the project ever got approved. And the first conversation I had with this elected official who represented her ward she, you know, made the point of like, as developers, as outside agents, you have to understand, and I like joined her on this topic, like, I'm so glad you're making this point, that you have to understand and bear the responsibility of the larger experiences that these folks in these communities have had, because they've had positive experiences, and they've had negative experiences, they've had never, everything in between. And if you're an outside actor providing a service, and you're not okay with like, all right, people may have some skepticism and that's okay. Or people may have some hopes, et cetera. It really sounds with what you're doing, you're, you have that sense of humanism and, and responsibility informing your approach. Yeah, honestly, uh, Tomas, it's, it's really thinking about kind of, you know, I ultimately think government is there to serve a purpose and to serve as a social safety net, if you may, uh, for individuals. And I completely understand and sometimes apprehension and inability to understand where people are coming from, whether it's, oh, here's government coming in and telling me what's best for me, what's best for me and my family, while, you know, many of the challenges that we think of is simply listening and talking to people and understanding where it actually hits home for them. You know, flooding shouldn't be an issue, you know, it's not a D or an R issue. It should be a, a humanistic issue that nobody should be willing to accept the fact that their home or their community gets flooded every time it rains. That's just, I think at, at the bare, we should all agree on that, that flooding uh, and similar to investing in infrastructure, it shouldn't be driven by political partisanship. It should be really driven uh, about the opportunity to make difference and make impact along the way. Absolutely. And, you know, you started to touch upon your you and the commissioner and the, and the organization as a whole are very conscious of the context of 2020 and just kind of our contemporary challenges, whether that's climate change, extreme weather, and uh, global health with the pandemic. How, 
how do you approach how do you and your work and how does MWRD and, and the commissioner weigh and break down something like climate change into actionable steps or actionable plans in their approaches? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the first questions that we the commissioner asked was in January of 2019, which was the, uh, the simple request is, does MWRD have a climate action plan? Does MWRD have a resiliency plan? And, and frankly, it, you know, it was a starting point in conversation for us, not only within our office, but I think as, as an organization as a whole, to see what does that mean for uh, the, one of the largest wastewater agencies in the country, uh, the second largest uh, landowner uh, in Cook County behind the Forest Preserve, and actually having honest and transparent conversation as, you know, it takes a lot of energy to move in clean water. That's, that's the reality of the thing, is where are we going to be able to target goals and reasonable uh, goals? And the back set of, you know, a lot of the national politics that is happening right now is, is uh, the demise of the EPA for a whole wide range of reasons. And when the federal government is not in play and responsible for a lot of it, what it all comes down to is the local stuff. And what role and responsibility will MWRD have in, in, in kind of a local leader in the, in the stormwater and wastewater sector uh, across? And honestly, that was uh, uh, the reality that we, we continue to, we just recently got uh, our first draft of uh, our, our climate action plan, and we're going to be presenting it to, to, to the larger audience in a study session which is our form of committee hearings uh, at MWRD. But it's really having an open conversation with internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, external partners, and having a conversation of what is the right targets for the size of MWRD and where is there really the opportunity to make impact for us as an agency? Is it how do we reduce our carbon footprint? Is that, is, is that a tangible marker that we can make and say, hey, set by X day, we want to be able to reduce X, Y, and Z from our, our carbon footprint? Are we able to do more in renewable energy? Are we able to do more in X, Y, and Z opportunity? And having that conversation, I think, is going to uh, be more open and honest what, where we are now and where we can be at a future time frame. And, you know, I'm so curious to see, you know, the report when it's, when it's available for, you know, public consumption. Sure. Um, I'm curious if you're able to speak, were there any findings in putting together that report that surprised you or surprised uh, the commissioner? And that you were I, I will be honest, I haven't, I haven't gone depth into it just yet, but I think just the task of having the exercise of doing this report, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will be telling. I think uh, our ability, uh, one of the, 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 I think in 2017, the district as a whole participated in the U.S. Climate Alliance and the Paris Agreement, excuse me, Rather, they signed on as a supporter of it. And as we know, the current administration uh, took a reverse course uh, on that. Well, you know, those are our opportunities for us to look as, as a whole, uh, as an agency and say, hey, look, you know, there, there's still targets out there that we can meet or have been set by others. And where's our role in meeting them? So I haven't just uh, dug de- deep enough to, to let you know, but doing the exercise alone is important. Uh, Cook County, for example, just released their own climate energy plan about a week or so ago. These are conversations that are, you know, many years, you know, five or six years ago were not a normal conversation for governments to have. They were either driven by individual sectors, either the energy sector and mostly pro-good energy holders. uh, And, you know, the private industry wasn't pushing the needle along the way to make change and impact. 
But now it's the reverse. It's government leading the way. It's saying, you know, ESG investing is a good thing. That's the marketplace. When I went during my work at uh, the city treasurer's office, I was aligned with doing some research on, on starting what an ESG policy would look like for the city of Chicago. And honestly, the conversation when we, when we started was, uh, was a lot different uh, to where it is now. It was, it was, we were getting the pushback, this is politically motivated, you know, as, a, as the fiduciary and responsible, as the investor for the city of Chicago, you should be thinking about your best investment and your investment return. That was a thing that, you know, we all should be focused on and not, you know, whether this is a good effort or opportunity for a local government to do so. And, that, and we were thought leaders uh, at that point in doing so. Treasurer Summers uh, at that point was being a leader in the space from a government perspective, because honestly, that was something that was looked at from the private sector. And when it was looked at, it was always seen as something else was going on. We were, we were doing something to re- resolve something else. Uh, and when, uh, when we sat down and did the research, the numbers don't lie. There's actually better investment returns when you invest in ESG, when you do sustainable investing. The numbers are there, the investments are there, and the priority and actually the political willingness has to be uh, from, the, from the individual driving it. So one of the first things we did at MWRD was think about, you know, what does an investment sustainability investment portfolio look like? So we inspired uh, my work for my work at the city to create something similar uh, at MWRD. That was, I think, paramount in kind of changing behavior. And that's what you know, a lot of the work that uh, governments are going to be taking now on is changing what the normal way of doing and thinking about you know, what is the proactive uh, forward-thinking approach. And MWRD had been thinking about uh, ESG and sustainable investing before my tenure. Uh, in our tenure year there, but you know, putting the question, asking the question, asking for feedback, asking you know where is this a priority for us, and seeing it executable as something that it was passed and, and, and it put into a policy is super cool. Absolutely, you know, you you touched on on so much there. One thing that that stood out to me when I was seventeen, I traveled down to Plaquemines Parish, East Biloxi, New Orleans. Sure. And a few other Gulf, Gulf Coast communities that were very severely hit by Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. And so this was, um, I was a production assistant on a documentary with a mentor, Steve Liss, who's a photojournalist, and he was doing an Oxfam documentary. And the project was looking at these communities one year later. Sure. So it's interesting to look back at that experience, you know, a little bit over a decade later now. And see, like, there were a lot of lessons from the hurricanes and the Gulf Coast in terms of the federal response and how individual actors, nonprofits, faith based groups, regional actors can all play different roles. And it, it, it can be different based upon the circumstance of them stepping up. And I think we're seeing something like that right now where, you know, the federal support can vary as, as we've seen it from administration to administration or department to department. Sure. And it is so crucial when a municipal organization or a regional organization is able to say, no, we're, we can see a social value case for this. We can see a resiliency case. We can see a financial case. You know, e- e- even to your point, you know, clean energy going from something that seemed like a nice to have or kind of an idealistic thing to you know some of our 
our rural towns and our struggling suburbs saying, oh, if we're leasing our land for renewable energy developments, that actually could be a really good source of revenue for a you know municipality or area with a reduced tax uh, support you know via population and you know it it must be very remarkable to through a couple entities now see that shift in uh yeah like honestly it's it's uh, all about the political willingness to do uh to make the change government is is oftentimes apprehensive in regards to making change and the willingness by the leadership uh, at all of the experience that I have was really the motivating factor is, you know, when there's a roadblock, you don't let go, you keep going forward. Uh, you keep pushing until you, you know, no doesn't mean no forever. No means maybe for right now, uh, but that you don't stop trying because it's easy to just get a no and then walk away. And that's what normal behavior would be. You get a no, you just walk away and, you know, I tried, oh, well, you know, somebody else will do it. But that somebody else will do it has to be the person who's taking on that approach and saying, look, this is important to me. This is important to our future. This is important to whether it's a bottom line tax uh, incentive or, or something of the sort, even from a revenue perspective. If that's the core function and you know that there's, there's a good opportunity for investment, a good return on your investment by participating in sustainable investing, then you have to proceed forward. And it's, you know, change is difficult, like I said, but it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. And, and diving further in, you know, one of the things we, we talked about in, you, in, our, in our pre-conversation, it was so abundantly clear and rightly so that you have a lot of pride in this. Could you talk a bit about some of the sustainability and practice around the green space, the space to grow, grow projects, um, sure. how this came to be, some of the accomplishments, some of the goals looking forward? Sure. No, uh, space. Uh, it's, it's great that you uh, you asked that question because one of my first, I guess, community engagements uh, when I first started was going out to a school that had really begun the process of uh, rebuilding the playground through the Space to Grow uh, campaign. And Space to Grow is a partnership between the Healthy School Campaign, uh, which is the national organization that leads the effort. Uh, CPS, Chicago Public School, the Chicago Department of Water Management, and MWRD. And the, the goal behind it is to go into uh, school, uh, CPS schools across uh, Chicago and low-income areas where you go and revitalize the school playground. And uh, my first uh, interaction was at, a, at the first meeting of this new school on the south side that was going to get rebuilt and participating in the community engagement component going into uh, uh, the library and having parents, teachers, students all participate in saying what their vision was for this new community anchor mm -hmm. uh, for that community. And for me, it was eye-opening. It's, it's oftentimes government is, uh, thinks about community engagement at the back end. Once they have uh, uh, either uh, some sort of proposal, uh, a shiny document, and they go and represent it uh, to the community and say, here, we know what's best for you, and here's a document that proves it. And you can react to it at the back end rather at the front end. And really that to me was eye-opening in the way of how MWRD functions, how MWRD as a government agency is forward-thinking in their approach. And as a coalition, how they can be more participatory. Because this was really going to be, this, these school, these playgrounds really have an impact locally from uh, the local school perspective, students are able to engage in learning of, of whether it's a STEM career or community gardens, agriculture, all that. 
uh, and, and from, uh, from a, wa- a wastewater and stormwater perspective, we create these huge bioretention uh, ponds underneath where we're literally capturing, capturing uh, 150,000 gallons of water on site, which for us is a huge win. Any green infrastructure project where we can retain water on site and process it and reclaim it later is a win. But really thinking about how the community can get engaged and asking questions, is this the right approach that we should be taking? Is it turf that we need here? Is it grass? Do we need more seeding? Uh, what kind of native plants do you think make sense for your schoolyard was truly eye-opening for me. And that was, it, it still is one of my favorite uh, projects that MWRD does is going out and, and we do five of these a year across the city. It's a partnership uh, through 2023 and going out. And I think by then they'll be, do, be able to do 30 uh, playgrounds, but engaging communities as the anchor that this community park will serve in the in the playground, but really making the the, the, it's the starting impact around what does the community want, what do the students want, what do the parents want, and going from there, and, and then bringing that all together, and then presenting it at the end. This is what we heard from you on day one. We went back, listened, did did what we do as experts, whether it's engineers, landscape architects, so on and so forth, and making a presentation before they put a shovel in the ground and tearing up. Uh, the current playground is really embracing the community spirit. And that's where you really make a buy-in. And then uh, I often think that this community engagement really is the buy-in from the community. So when you have an end project that's a schoolyard and, and a playground, is uh, the community is proud of it. The community has uh, feels a, a sense of commitment and engagement to it and understanding that this is the community playground and schoolyard that was built for us. So we have a sense of responsibility to take care of it, maintain it, protect it, and learn from it. And make sure, you know, to educate others that if, you know, if you see somebody littering, that you go out there and tell them, hey, you know, you can't, you know, litter in in our schoolyard anymore. This is, you know, this is something that people have made an investment in our community, and we appreciate that investment, and we're going to take care of that investment. And that is, is ultimately what I think is, is the, the real opportunity for making change is embracing the community and listening to them and hearing them and, and having an open dialogue between the two to an end project that they both can be proud of. It's a really important distinction that you're touching upon. And you know the, the hope is becoming more commonplace, but I think you all are leading in this in that engaging the community early and often, incorporating suggestions is additive and complementary to best practices in engineering, to best practices around resiliency. And it's not inherently a sacrifice. It is is additive if you do it right on all these fronts. And also, you know, you you touched upon a really important distinction is the marks for a good project is that the community actually independently feels like it is additive and will embrace it and maintain it because it is something that actually benefits them after the project, you know, is actually there. And it, it pays off if you do that early, sincere work. My guess is also saves time is, is it, it, from an interactional in, in a project management side is if you're getting the right response from the start and not having to go two, three, four times back to your stakeholders, that ultimately saves time, saves money, and, and you get a, a quicker win, if you may, for the community in a short duration of time. And I, I believe the goal is to start the construction of the school uh, yard uh, rebuilt at the end of the school year, so June timeframe, and then it being ready the next uh, school year, so September timeframe. So that whole that that, that summer uh, vacation, if you may, 
is when they would be rebuilding it so the students aren't left without a park to have in, 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 at their school. And, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more, you know, later on in the discussion, but especially now in, you know, summer of 2020, open green space is so important. And it's absolutely. So and, absolutely. I, I think, I think COVID is going to change a lot of things. Uh, uh, the new norm, if you may, uh, and post-COVID or, or, or whatever that may time frame come. Right. One of them I, I do uh, agree with you is that the need for more open green space in general, whether you're living in an urban center or, or uh, in suburban rural, the need for more urban space for individuals to go out there. And, you know, you can't you know, be six feet apart from each other if it's not a big enough uh, green space to sit and lay out. And, you know, from your public health perspective, your mental health perspective, that I think is ultimately going to drive the way individuals and families understand whether they want to live in, in urban centers as well as suburban uh, America. And that's going to be a real interesting play Absolutely. in the years to come about uh, what's the driving force, whether if you're a corporation that's willing to headquarter their, their headquarters here in the city of Chicago. And if they are going to do so, are they going to you know, get 10 or 20 or 50,000 square feet of, uh, of real estate and leasing uh, terms, or is it going to be a much smaller footprint in the urban center, uh, downtown Chicago, and then have a much larger expansion uh, of a, a suburban office, if you may, in order for individuals to drive to work, uh, to be able to have be more spread out and have access to more resources? I think there's this opportunity, uh, you know, right now to help drive home how some of these sustainable solutions that maybe historically have been thought of as like, oh, these are nice to haves or these are luxuries are actually these really tangible immediate assets. I just saw that Omni Ecosystems, who is one of our panelists on our place dialogue uh, around the built environment back in uh, 2017, they were just meeting with clients about more green roofs because private sector companies are like, oh, when we think about reopening, Having a nice, welcoming, you know, safe, distance space that's also enjoyable to be in—that's especially relevant now. The, the the first dialogue of season two was with Nature's Find, who's doing alternative proteins, and you know, especially now, as our meat supply chain and our our standard protein supply chains are impacted, the need and the recognition for alternative proteins becomes so much more salient. And everything you're doing, because it touches on so many different sectors and it's so lasting, I again really appreciate how intersectional it is and, and how comprehensive you're approaching it. MWRD does uh, a call for projects both on stormwater management, but also on, on green infrastructure twice a year. There are, uh, the next proposals uh, for projects are due in August, sometime in mid-August. But it's, it's really investing in green infrastructure projects around Cook County and communities where MWRD is, is, it goes into partnership with uh, the local governments, and they're able to do 50% of cost associated with a specific project. And I think that's one of uh, the, the new norms is going to be how do we do cost-sharing uh, projects between local governments and opportunities for, for more collaboration in regards to green infrastructure. We know uh, array, you know climate change is real. It's not going away. And it's, in fact, the new normal. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have to be thinking about you know, the more intense rainfalls that we are getting in a shorter duration of time. That's going to be the standard from now. May, for example, was the rainiest May on record for Chicago. 
in 150 years. That, you know, and, and the, the 2019 was the last record they broke. So it's, three, it's been three consecutive years where we're breaking the previous year's record. That's no longer uh, just a coincidence. It's a trend. It's, it, it's the normal. And having open green space where we can re- absorb, retain, and process water and reclaim it later on has to be a part of the discussion. You talked about green roofs. Green roofs is going to be important because it's also where we can re- capture uh, rainwater, but also can reduce temperatures and provide oxygen and so on and also reduce the heat inside a building. And yep. So it reduces, uh, uh, from an air conditioning perspective, it reduces your energy costs. So there's multiple facets around being more uh, sustainable in whether it's infrastructure or investing or anything of the sort. There has to be more open and transparent conversation of these are no longer just a coincidence. It's the way that we're going to all have to be living and the decisions that policymakers and uh, stakeholders and elected officials are having to be doing, uh, both in public, private, and uh, the nonprofit sector. Absolutely. And so taking a step back, looking at this elevated need and the light shown on why these types of projects are, are so important and the fact that we are, as a city, just overachievers in terms of breaking rainfall and similar sure. Can you talk more about, uh, or can you shift into the mega projects, such as the Macoque uh, Reservoir Stage sure. 1, what goes into those, why they're so important, how they impact us on a daily basis. Um, sure. Start. Sure. Uh, you know, McCook, uh, what is 1.0, we're on the 2.0. So it went live in 2017. And that's essentially a way for any overflow water in our CSOs, Chicago and Cook County have a uh, uh, combined sewer overflow. So we're able to capture water access when we're heavy rainfalls and utilize and put it in place, which is McCook Reservoir now. And there's three or four, um, three more reservoirs that will be fourth in 2029. And honestly, it's being able, if, the, if we weren't capturing the water at uh, our reservoirs, whether it was Thornton, McCook, or others, it'd be in your basement, it'd be in your streets. So being able to capture it, and you know, this has been a project that's been going on for 40 years and, and some, and, and, and MWD was really an innovator in the space thinking about what can we do with capturing outside the deep tunnel idea is capturing water and reclaiming it later, getting it cleaned and processed later on, whether that's a few days and and it takes a a little longer than that to to process so many millions of gallons, billions of gallons of water. But at the end, so McCook 1 is three and a half billion gallons of water that it's able to capture when it's at full capacity. Imagine if that wasn't there. Where would 3 billion gallons of water go? It's, it's quite a, an amazing sight to see. When uh, McCook 2.0 is, is accomplished, that'll be 6.5 billion gallons of water. In total, our whole TARP system will be 18 billion gallons of water. Yes, and that's with the B. So if we're not able to capture it and, and, and store it and reclaim it later, it's going to end up in your street. It's going to end up coming through your toilets, through your sewers. And it's really, it's, it's not fun. I, I've seen communities uh, and, and households get really tr- terrible, terrible flooding year in and year out because the lack of, uh, of proper infrastructure, the lack of flooding. Uh, MWRD has done uh, their part, if you may, and obviously we're going to continue to do our part in making uh, the investment. But the reality is, Tomas, is the current scale of rain that we're getting, uh, the 100-year storms that we, we our data and how we, you engineer for, are not happening every 100 years. They're happening every five, every 10 years. So that's the new reality. And honestly, the real conversation we should all be thinking about is how do we get more investment in our infrastructure? 
How do we get more investment, uh, not only our, on our roads and ridges and schools and, 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 and so on, but really water infrastructure and our, our, our aging water infrastructure, whether it's the ability to make more investment in stormwater management, rebuilding uh, our lead pipes and our pipelines in, in Chicago, which is a huge issue, oftentimes not associated with MWRD, but oftentimes the question we get uh, but when we're out in the community is, what can you do about my lead pipe uh, replacement? That is a, 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 a real issue that is going to have to be addressed in short term. Uh, we can't kick the can uh, along uh, the road anymore by bypassing and not thinking about investment in infrastructure. The reality is we're going to have to be uh, making those investments. And Illinois uh, took leadership last year in, in doing a rebuild of Illinois, and there's about $400 million in investment in, in uh, water infrastructure projects here. But a known little fact is that water infrastructure jo- creates four times more jobs, placements, rather than a street getting repaved or a bridge or so on and so forth. So if you think about putting America back to work, uh, which is often uh, the times uh, that we're in that we all should be thinking about with high unemployment and opportunity mm-hmm. to, to get people working again, we should be thinking about in, investing in infrastructure. Investing, and it shouldn't be a partisan conversation that's happening in, in Washington. We know it's election season, and, and, and those uh, conversations often get lo- lost in, in, in what the real issue and the real opportunity is. But my hope is that sometime in, 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 in the January, if that may be, of, of 2021, that Congress can really think about infrastructure and really think about water infrastructure. What can we, you know, can we be making more investments in our stormwater management? Can we make be making more investments in replacing our sewer lines across the city of Chicago? One simple example is cleaning out and lining the street sewers. Will that be a significant impact in the reduction of flooding on the south and west side? Yep. And, what are those simple things that we can be making investments in? to actually make a difference in the community and impact the lives of millions and millions of not only Chicagoans, but people across the country where we can really make a significant impact in their daily life. I'm so happy you touched upon the, well, one, the, you know, led, I'm, I'm someone who lives in Pilsen, so I'm very sure. conscious of, of these dynamics and I have my pure filter. Um, but yeah, I'm you too. On the, the cleaning out the lines, the jetting the lines, and how that can be uneven across socioeconomic geographies. My first job out of college, I worked in sales, marketing, and field operations for a gray water hauling company. Right. And for folks who maybe aren't familiar with what that is, that is cleaning out sewer systems that are non-sanitary, meaning if you're washing your hands for your sink or the water from your dishwasher, etc., similar things to that. And when I would, you know, I'd, I'd call up a property manager, I'd get an opportunity to sell them the job, I'd go out and scope the job and lift up the lid myself because I was that type of account executive. Yeah, of course, you got to. And, you know, measure the volume of the liquids and solids and then, you know, put together a scope, see if we could get the job. And then I would go out with my field crew and I would take, con- I would take video content and photos of like, before the basin was cleaned and afterwards. Sure. And I would manage jobs. And it was like this incredibly smelly, rewarding, fantastic job. And I'm, I'm really grateful I had it at the beginning. Sure. And it was so remarkable when I would be downtown in the loop and I'd be scoping a building and it would be a nice high-income property. 
and their lines were clean. You know, it was it was very clear that someone was doing these kind of things, and they were getting it serviced within an appropriate timeline of every three to four months, like actually cleaning it all out. Sure. And when I went into low income, predominantly Latino, Latinx, African American communities on the south and west side, it was remarkable because it was either things were skimmed and it was dumped, you know, down the street. Sure. Or it wasn't taken at all. And like pretty much any negative scenario you could think of. And I remember going to a public housing complex, Altjell Gardens, which is the birthplace of modern environmental justice with Hazel Johnson. It's where she's Absolutely. from. Where she did organizing. It's where Obama did organizing. Yes. And scoping those lines, and we didn't end up getting the job, and seeing how much backup and how much it was just a solid. And talking to the community members who were saying, yeah, it's just regularly sludge coming back. Uh, you know, through through my pipes, it, it's a very you know it. Those kind of experiences stay with you. So when you're when you're talking about these 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 issues are so important. And when I talk about racial uh, and uh, environmental justice, these are the issues that come to mind. It's not by coincidence. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a lack of investment on the south and west side. These are actual, real, properly approached, if you may, decisions that have been made by both public and private uh, sectors to not make investments uh, in these communities. And when you make the, just the simple fact of cleaning out the sewer line, that is perhaps you know, a, a city service of some sort that should be you know, something kind of on an like, automatic cycle. We should be able to go through neighborhoods and through, through uh, a wide range of, uh, of our communities and throughout the 50 wards to have a schedule and say, hey, we're gonna do this over the next you know, two years. We're gonna clean out the, uh, uh, the sewer lines and then start again. Uh, it, it should be sort of kind of uh, a, a role that you know city government uh, should be participating, public and private homeowners and developers and so on should be making it a checklist that gets done and not thought about it twice or not thought about it. Is this the right expense that I want to take on when different parts of the city and different uh, areas are doing it in a way where it's just normal practice of doing business? That shouldn't be the normal case in these neighborhoods that don't get that investment. And when you make these types of investments and you create opportunity for both uh, individuals to feel like I'm worthy of an investment, both by public and private sector engagement, that's a world of difference. I think individuals feel pride when they, in their community and their neighborhood and want to see good things happen in their neighborhood and good things happen to their community. And when they, when they go to other parts of, of our city and, and, and across the country, uh, frankly, the question is asked, you know, why are they getting the investments and we're not? What is the real uh, opportunity for that question to be answered short-term and long-term is what we all should be thinking about with the current events that are happening in our city and across the country during a global pandemic. Uh, those, those questions are, are stuff that I think about often and, and my, my desire to solve some of them and work on them with you and others is how we're going to make it a more equitable future for my children, your children, and others. And, and that's what we have to be striving for to achieving as the norm and not as the exception. Dean, tell us more about what MWRD is doing on the forefront of COVID research and tracking the virus. Absolutely. So we've uh, been approached by both local partners at uh, several uh, universities to do real-time data analysis and research based on what we do, which is process uh, wastewater 
and, and stormwater, but on the wastewater side, it's being able to trace COVID tracings for influx of, uh, of a spike in, in COVID cases. That's really real-time data tracking where MWRD is going to be an innovative thought leader and be able to figure out whether uh, there's a spike in, in COVID cases in a particular area of the city. And mind you, our jurisdiction is almost 900 square miles. That is a huge piece of, uh, of land that we're covering. We're obviously going to be taking it in specific areas and not doing a larger trace. But that's the kind of work that MWRD staff and MWRD as a whole is every day pounding pavement, being thought leaders in their respective work and working in different in, in partnerships with national organizations, uh, local universities, the, the federal government. That's the work that MWRD does every day, and their staff is superb in doing so. And uh, under the leadership of Brian Perkovich, has been exceptional. And President Steele has been forthcoming and willing to take all that on as an opportunity for us to not only do good, but actually in better society and in be- and better civilization. It again, it's it's, it's truly intersectional, and it's just one of those things of water touches everything. You just don't think about it, that people that one way for us to trace and combat COVID in any shape, way or form is being able to trace uh, poop. So that's 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 a real real time experience of how innovative COVID uh, has made uh, everyone's world and in particular in, in, in MWRD's world. And, you know, one of the things that I'm very particular about about the podcast site, I want to identify those. We all know the sky is falling. Sure. Right? What are the practical steps that are needed? What are the practical things that are being done? What maybe isn't being recognized enough? And like, I really appreciate that you're talking about. You know, uh, you have I. I think it was like a a four x like workforce development impact when you invest on water projects. You're talking about partnering with you know CPS for stormwater retention and also providing better green spaces for children. That ties into the pandemic, that ties into overall mental health. You're talking about like being a leader with the climate action plan. There are making sure that we have a reduced burden of flooding across the city as a whole. These are all tangible things. And I think it also, you know, and it's hard to measure this, but I think it helps in the industry when you see the large actors saying, no, we're proactively doing this. Not because like these are bad vegetables to eat that aren't tasty. It's like, yeah, this is very additive to do these things. Sure. And you know, I I want to shift into something that really helps to bring this all together is how has how have you all considered approached COVID nineteen? How is it and maybe start with like how has it impacted things internally? Because as as we've discussed before, water is an essential service. And you all are on the front lines and have essential workers. Sure. I need water yesterday. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I thank you for that. And I, I honestly think MWRD and in wastewater agencies across uh, the Water uh, Environment Federation, which is the national umbrella, has done a recent campaign that wastewater employees are essential workers, and they truly are. You know, our work didn't stop in March or when COVID, uh, the pandemic started, and stay-at-home orders were uh, put in place, our 20% or 25% of our staff was still going into our, our wastewater reclamation plants every day. And for honestly, I thank them for that. Because imagine, uh, to my earlier point, imagine not being able to flush your toilet. Mm-hmm. And 
in the midst of a, a, a global pandemic, civil unrest, the extreme amount of rains uh, that we received mm-hmm. over three days in the, in the end of May, uh, it was nine inches of rain uh, over the span of, of three days. And, you know, we were still working. Our workforce is the, is the best of the best. I, I applaud their work. I applaud their commitment to the cause and to the effort. But our work doesn't, didn't stop because of COVID. And our work won't stop uh, and, uh, during COVID or post-COVID or after COVID. We will continue on and doing that. And I really think that the opportunity for us to highlight kind of the, the continuation of work that is necessary day in and day out. MWRD was there. We actually wrote uh, a, a letter to the editor and, and the Sun-Times covered it, just highlighting, you know, the, the police and the fire department and the healthcare workers are on the front lines and, and doing the, the best that they can during this global pandemic. But so were employees of MWRD. And, and, and not only were we able to do continue the job without interruption along the way, it was really done uh, exceptionally uh, well with everything else that's going on. So I, I really appreciate the, the work that MWRD does day in and day out. Like I've said this uh, to many that MWRD has the best staff in the world. The, the, the leadership from, uh, from the administration, from, from the president's office has been exceptional, to say the least, during, uh, during the, the, this challenge that we're all facing. And nobody had a playbook. That's, that's the best part, I think. Nobody, you, know, we, you couldn't plan for this in, in, in your wildest dreams. I think when, in one of our conversations, we may have said that, not in my wildest dreams, where I think of 2020, where I'd be wearing a mask in order to go to the grocery store and not being able to see a family member, a friend, or anything like that. It's just it's surreal. So nobody had a playbook. And, and frankly, the Moss, uh, this is halftime. The game's not over. Right. Uh, you know, that is oftentimes the, the, uh, the, the challenge that inspires me to continue on the work is that we all have a role to play. And this is, it's not even halftime. I don't even know what quarter it is, but the, the, the game isn't over. We're still facing a, a daily uh, occurrence that COVID is real. COVID is something that we're going to be experiencing for I don't know the, how long the duration of time is going to be, but you know our, rea- our work doesn't stop, our efforts don't stop, and our need to continue doing the work for it. I will have to say one of the, the struggles I have had with, with COVID is not going out and talking to students and, uh, and going out to classrooms and educating individuals and community groups and neighborhood associations on what MWRD does. Who we are uh, as an agency, we're 130 plus years. We serve over 130 municipalities across Cook County. And that's really the challenge that I've had, honestly, is going out there and not being able to, to go to community groups and community partners to talk about the work and what more we need to be doing during this. One of my favorite things I do uh, with the commissioner is go out and talk to classrooms across both public uh, uh, schools in, in Chicago and Cook County and across uh, our our county is talk about STEM careers. Talk mm-hmm. about you know what is that? What is the, the 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 opportunity where we can inspire somebody in the seventh, eighth, ninth grade, or even you know a junior senior and thinking about the future and and does a water sector career inspire them? And being able to see an African-American woman, what uh, that Commissioner Duclay is, and saying, I can be a commissioner. I can be somebody that works at MWRD in the future. That's a path for me. And educating the community about the opportunity to do so is really eye-opening. Because if we engage them on, on, on the earliest possible way, whether it's a tour at one of our facilities, Stickney's, in, in, in our respect, is the world's largest 
uh, wastewater uh, reclamation plant in the world. That is huge news when you inspire. And, and if can we be that trigger or that light bulb that goes off on a student in seventh or eighth grade and say, hey, I, I can do this. I can be an engineer. I can be an electrician. I can be some sort of uh, skilled labor in, in the workforce uh, that we're going to need in the months and years to come. As we see an aging uh, workforce in general across a whole wide range of, of sectors in this country where we can be able to inspire the next generation of leaders for that. And one of the, the great uh, programs that uh, uh, Commission, Vice President Commissioner Barbara McGowan uh, has done is worked with the US EPA to think about a pilot program in partnership with CPS and uh, MWRD, for example, to inspire the next generation of leaders. And if we were, and honestly, to think about the way we can diversify our workforce. That I think is key for us, uh, not only in our office, but as the district as a whole, is can we diversify our workforce to be as diverse as Cook County is? We have to strive to make that the goal and make that the opportunity that we all face that the people that work or represent you in government also look like the people that you represent in government. And And that's important work that needs to be to be had not only by MWRD, by, by the city of Chicago and, and Cook County and the state of Illinois, that's, those should be the markers that we're setting as the goal. And, and, and that's the real opportunity to create change, I think, in, in a whole wide range of, of, of ways for us to really resemble and embrace the diversity that Cook County has. And that diversity is actually a good thing, not only for, for your workforce, but also from an employer's perspective. You know, there's there's so much positive in that. And, you know, the fact that this is an effort that you all are doing with CPS and with an EPA grant, you know, again, identifies a couple things. One, even when we see variability in federal approaches, maybe sure. the language changes sure. around, you know, climate change or maybe resilience planning is, sure. is the current framework. But there's still a lot of people in these departments who are working, you know, career bureaucrats, career government officials who say, all right, you know, overall this, like many of these same issues can still be addressed. And I'm, I'm not saying that like, oh, everything is perfect or everything was perfect in one specific administration. But there are people who are at EPA, at DOE, who can say, all right, this is how we frame this within the current administration set of priorities. You know, it looks different under Clinton, Bush, Obama, and it can still translate into this impactful thing that you, WRD, the leadership is doing with CPS. And, you know, the other thing I heard you speak into, which is, is so important, is the shared dignity requirement contribution and pathway across the different sectors and opportunities. That you're coming in with representation at multiple levels. And, you know, whether it is in the C-suite, whether it's in the skilled labor space, helping to ensure that there's representation just across that and recognition of that dignity and importance. And again, 2020 could not be any more 2020 if suddenly it was just like everyone did not have access to water. Sure. And, and you know, that, that, that still is a challenge for some you know, in Chicago, but it's, you know, I, I really appreciate everything you're touching upon. Especially, uh, so to, to your point on, on the diversity, whether it's a C-suite, it's, 
these are the questions that not only need to be answered now, should have been answered, you know, maybe couple couple generations ago, if you may, uh, on my part. But, you know, now is, is better than ever. And these are the, when we start asking the tough question is whether it's a corporate board and saying, you know, what does your diversity look like on your corporate board? Do you have diverse representation? That shouldn't be a tough question to ask if you're a global company. Right. If right. you're a multinational company, that should be an easy answer and say, hey, look, our board represents the people, first, our consumers and the people that work for us. And if you can't answer that simple fact, then there's a, there's, a, there's a starting point for a larger discussion for whatever sector you are in. You have to be able to, to, to ask the easy questions is, what is diversity? What does inclusion look like for, for, for your company? What does inclusion diversity look like for your workforce? Uh, and if you're a government, can we do more? Can we do more in our minority women business endeavors? The district at, a, at the last recent board is taking a policy consideration for uh, and doing a, a wider scope of LGBTQ uh, inclusion uh, in our business practices. That's that wonderful. is a question that needs to be, you know, not only at MWRD, but along the way. But asking the question should be the starting point of the conversation, not the end point of the conversation. And it's not a bad thing for people to ask. It's not a bad thing for being held, elected officials holding others accountable and holding themselves accountable, frankly, and having that dialogue and conversation in 2020 is no you know is is by far probably the most important thing that we can get accomplished through everything that we're facing is is asking the tough questions and and demanding responses not just asking them and, and walking away is be putting our foot uh, uh, to the gas pedal and saying you know we're, we're demanding change and we're demanding things be different and we can't continue to do things the way we've always done them that's the, you know, a wise guy saying that's the form of insanity if we expect to do things over and over again and expect them to change. Right. Uh, we can't accept the normal uh, approach that we've taken for, for many years and, 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 and decades. We have to be forward thinking, have to, our approach has to be a way where we're asking the tough questions, we're getting the, the tough responses back for them, and we're removing the needle, whether it's incrementally or by large amounts. Mm -hmm. If you don't start somewhere, you're not going to be able to succeed at anything. So these are the, the conversations that inspired me, especially as younger generation uh, of uh, activists and, and, and uh, stakeholders are participating in these conversations. They're asking the tough questions and they're demanding responses from that. And that, I think, is ultimately how we create good public policy, both here and across the country. And honestly, you know, we have two, I'll end on, the, on these two points, the need for us to participate in civic, our civic duty, whether that's voting or the simple thing of participating in the census. That is really a two things that we can actively engage and make huge impact. Uh, I don't care whether you're a D or an R, go out and vote. But that 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 is you know it doesn't it, it it doesn't bother me if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat whether you you know what political side uh, you align with the active fact of you going out and voting is I think a civic win for all Americans absolutely uh, and participating in your census it, you know there's been a great push around the census across uh, our city and our county but it really impacts the next ten years of our life you know whether uh, not only on congressional representation but also what amount of money the federal government will do uh, in return once the, all the census is counted. And that really is the way we need to think about things is that it's taking 10 minutes of our time today, but it's going to impact the next 10 years of our lives. And if we don't participate in either, 
uh, it's hard for me to, to, to wake up to a Monday morning quarterback and complain about the next day of an election. Or if you ask them, did you participate in your census? No, what's that? Or I wasn't able to get access to it, so on and so forth. It literally took me maybe seven minutes, if not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having those honest uh, conversations with our generation, older generations, that's the way we're going to really make change across short-term and long-term. And I really think uh, I'm inspired by your work. Thank you for uh, being on, on, on the podcast and, and looking forward to just having more difficult conversations. That's what I think if 2020 has taught us anything is the need to have more difficult conversations. We may all not agree on, on the outcome or the solution or the end result, but having those conversations is an exercise in itself. Absolutely. And whether it's thinking about sustainable investing, whether it's thinking about sustainable finance or green infrastructure or the need for more green space, are we making the right investments in our green space across our neighborhoods? And what neighborhood is getting what new park or, or what opportunity is happening in a different part of our county and where we're making those investments is really the questions that we all should be thinking about as we not only look at 2020, but uh, you know, the next five, 10 years of activism and government participation. Dean, cannot thank you enough for speaking so comprehensively, covering the intersectional dynamics here, acknowledging that much like you know, taking on climate change problems, when we have difficult conversations and move the needle in small and big ways around issues of representation, it's similar to acting on climate change. These conversations are worth it because the outcome is worth it. You will have a better public sector, private sector outcome, the more representation, you know, they've done those studies where they show that the more women on a board or at a company, the better a company performs. Absolutely. You know, and I really appreciate you being so comprehensive and so generous with your time. And, you know, I, I also appreciate that you made a point to talk about the fact that so many people in water are essential workers. And these people have been heroic just showing up day in and day out with all this uncertainty. And so, you know, please pass along internally that you know sure, absolutely I really, well. really really appreciate i um, mean i you know i think that uh is shared by the listeners all the work they're doing yeah no i i i appreciate that and and you know there's stuff that you can do on your own as an individual also we can be more cognizant of you know simple things is if, if it's storming outside don't take a shower don't run your dishwasher Stuff like that. Use a rain barrel if you're a homeowner. Disconnect your downspout. Stuff like that, that we all can do at an individualistic level that could make a world of difference. I often think about just doing things at one increment instead of a time. If we can make an impact on somebody, whether it's uh, something you say hello to somebody or make somebody smile, that's a win. If you're able to do something on your own to save the environment, that's a win. Doing those, the, the simple things in life, I think, now has made everybody more simplistic because of because of COVID, but you can make a world of difference on your own and for the greater good by simple things that you know we all take for granted or have taken for granted for many years. Well, thank you again for your time. Please say hello to our first Water Dialogue speakers from MWRD, Eddie I sure will. and Patrick Thomas, and we'll have to check in again soon, but this is wonderful. Thank yeah, you. the next time, we'll, I'd love to get uh, the commissioners on and participating as well and, and hear about from, from, from the elected officials' perspective, you know, what, that, what this all means to them. Because they're really, uh, the board of commissioners, I really think is, is, is fabulous. And they, they're the diverse background. They have each in their own specific way, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of opportunity. And I really think you're going to be hearing a lot more from the MWRD board 
because they're such more thoughtful leaders in their respective space. And MWRD, in my opinion, like I've told you, is one of those agencies that nobody really thinks about, but we'll be thinking about it much more with everything else that's going on. Absolutely. And well, on, on that, thank you. And we'll loop back soon. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. The Chicago Sustainability Series was founded in 2015 to explore the intersection of sustainability, inclusion, representation, and equity. You can learn more about the podcast at sustaintheshy.com, as well as become involved in future dialogues, find out about our impact with our partner nonprofits and volunteer activations, or recommend a future speaker, and more. Founded and produced by me, Tomas de Medici, you can listen to more dialogues like this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more by searching for the hashtag sustaintheshy or looking up the Chicago Sustainability Series. Thanks for listening.